0: All right, it is 1689 Saturday, and the one we've been waiting for with Brandon Adams. Let's go. Is that my cue? That's yeah, your cue. You're in. Waiting wait for the big theme music. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to hear any of that. That's all I must say. Um yeah, man. So totally this is uh this is the one I've been looking forward to. Just wanted to get your your story there out there before people. You see such a man of mystery. <laughs> you know, just like who is Brandon Adams, the guy who writes so much and covers all these things. You know, it was I, I mentioned um uh, one of the other guys uh, that does this um, podcast with me, Nick Clealy, you know, we were around when Sam Rennihan came, came down, um, I think he had, just before he got his doctorate, and he had kind of he preached us through his dissertation, essentially, and um, he... Uh, you know, we, I think I think he was just in kind of a "let's get it done" mode, and and you know, and, and Nick and I were in this super sort of like uh, we've got a thousand million questions, so the, the two weren't <laughs> gelling well. I don't think we had to eventually just back off. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know that you uh, and and so one thing what I was going to say there is just uh, it's been helpful for me to see your stuff because it seems almost like you're interacting with a lot of the stuff Sam hasn't really covered. He's got quite a a, a focus on, on on the historical that he covers and, and, um, you know, and, and he's just uh, fair enough, you know, he's been doing his thing. Uh, but it's been good to see you sort of branch out and, and, you know, it seems like you're pioneering this thing, you know, quite hard. Um, you know, especially hearing about you sort of approaching the guys to start the website, which I think has been probably more influential than anything else from just a completely groundswell perspective. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just enabled people to get in touch with what's happening, uh, you know, in that, more scholarly realm i suppose and uh, Mm. perhaps you'd have stuff floating around abca and um you know as you said earlier uh you'd have access to some of these guys but for the most part people are kind of reliant on their website and um and perhaps some books that come out um pascal's book obviously was huge and um and uh even in sam's um recent publications so Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. i mean those things have all been massive but they still tend to stay you know even now i mean for me when i um when someone asks me about it i don't send anyone to a book i send them to your website you know (laughs) so because i know it's they're going to come out with it with a good understanding but you got the diagrams you got the everything there um so yeah that's been hugely helpful man it's absolutely is and i mean how do you you know maybe you could just walk us into the whole um you know how you've journeyed along in Reformed theology and how you uh, came across um you know I, I suppose 1699 federalism whether it was you know after you mentioned a little bit earlier it was kind of by your own study and kind of as it uh, synchronized with with what the rainians were doing uh but yeah give us a bit of um a, a story on that one
1: yeah i mentioned uh, i was teaching a wednesday night bible study going through genesis and mm. um so I, I knew I was gonna to have to tackle Genesis twelve through twenty-two. Right. And so uh covenant theology wasn't something I had formally studied yet. Um so I decided to to start studying it and I started by just uh you know, just basic stuff, just look up every use of the word covenant in scripture and take notes as I go and just observe things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just at a very basic level like that and mm-hmm. Uh, then one of the other things I did was, uh, just kind of reading through, uh, the first five books there, the Torah, um, trying to make sense of it on my, on my own terms here. I I took a bunch of highlighters and, uh, color coded. So it was, you know, one color was something about eternal life. Um, orange was, um, uh conditional language green was about temporal blessings or curses and wow. probably yeah. a few few other colors in there and and so I just kind of would go through and highlight and you know by the time I got done the thing was it was very very clear to me that you know the mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant of works about temporal life on this earth right um it just was was very very clear so at that point I started searching out some books and one of the first ones I actually read was uh from uh, John Reesinger, um, who's uh, was one of the founders of what's known as New Covenant yeah, theology. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, some somebody had actually visited our church and and had given me a copy, and so I, I read it. And, and I'm reading it, and he's he's. He, I remember this line. He said that uh, um, dispensationalism can't get the church and Israel together, and covenant theology can't get them apart. Right. Right. And, I was kind of scratching my head. I said, that's, that's not true. That's, <laughs> that's, I, I hold the covenant theology and that's not how I feel. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then I started reading the, the covenant theology works like Oprah Robertson and things like that. And I, re- I realized, Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, why that's they're what complaining he's yeah. about. I see. So what, what, Apparently I don't hold the covenant theology because that's not what I hold to. Right, so, right.
0: Um,
1: that that kind of was the beginning of my journey. And and part of forming my perspective there was uh, coming to understand Calvinism and the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the irresistible call and and irresistible grace and all of that. Uh, w- they would appeal to and teach from texts like Ezekiel 36. Mm-hmm. Uh, take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the epitome of, of regeneration, yes. and so I, I, I just, I, as coming to understand Calvinism, I just understood that text as something that would apply to to all believers. You know, that's just how we're saved, and and it says here that that's you know part of the new covenant. So I just uh, that must be how people are saved, right? It was that my simplistic introduction to it, it was just that was kind of the perspective I was coming from. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just started reading what I could and and discussing with who I could and, um, and wound up, uh, uh, I think Richard Barcellos had, had sent me a quote from Owen, um, as part of a discussion list we were on and, you know, Owen was, it was him saying basically, yeah, the Mosaic covenant was covenant works for temporal life in the land of Canaan and it's not about eternal life. And Mm -hmm. so got Um. my hands on that, that Cox Owen volume and started digging in and realized there's something here this book had been out for a few years and nobody really knows about it nobody's talking about it so uh why don't i get some of you guys together and just summarize it in a nutshell put it on a website so people at least know this is out there and let's try to help people understand it a little better
0: right totally so um in ter- i mean as far as i remember from that book i remember reading it and not necessarily connecting the dots specifically to what came out later on with um Micah and um, Sam in that paper they did at Westminster, um with the Essence administration distinction thing. Um did you pick that up in the in the uh, Cox own volume as well? Uh that was um I think it was probably before
1: reading that. I, I can't remember the exact timeline. It's been a long time, but interesting. Um, okay. It's 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 um uh, where I picked up on it from is from studying the Paedobaptist baptist his, historic articulation. Right, so
0: right, right guys,
1: right, guys like Calvin and things like that. Mm. And, then, and then really refining that understanding by reading the modern republication debate. Right, okay. Uh, if, so yeah. I, I got a couple quotes here that can <clears throat> maybe help clarify. So, yeah. Um, right, so Reformed Covenant theology was really developed in response to the Anabaptists. Um. And so you have, you have a lot of these early guys trying to argue that uh, the old covenant and the new covenant are the same covenant, right? And, and therefore, infants should be baptized just like they were circumcised. For sure. So, yeah. so here's the way that Bollinger argued that he said uh, the testament of the old and new Church of God is all one mm-hmm. in the uh, in the very substance. Truly, thou canst find no diversity. Mm-hmm. The, the difference which is between them does consist in the manner of administration in a few accidents in certain circumstances, but in respect of the substance, there neither was nor is any more than one testament or Mm -hmm. or covenant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Calvin likewise said, uh, both covenants are truly one, although differently administered. Mm -hmm. The covenant covenant made with the fathers is so far from differing from ours in reality and substance that it is altogether one and the same. Still, the administration differs. And that's from uh, Institutes 210.2. 2. Um, and then from his Jeremiah 31 commentary, he says, uh, He then who once made a covenant with his chosen people had not changed his purpose, although he had forgotten his faith, uh, as though he had forgotten his faithfulness. Hmm. It then follows that the first covenant was inviolable. Hmm. Besides, he had already made his covenant with Abraham, and the law was a confirmation of that covenant. Mm-hmm. As then, the law depended on that covenant, which God made with his servant Abraham it follows that God could never have made a new, that is a contrary or a different covenant. Mm-hmm. God has never made any other covenant than that which he formerly made with Abraham, and at length confirmed by the hand of Moses.
0: Right, totally. Yeah, and so I think I think the debate has, um, well, look, prior to um, the uh, federalism thing currently on, on view, is that, you know, the debate has always... Um, been in the realm of administration you know it's it's uh you know i think um if i think of uh, jewett's book for example or even malone um you know just just trying to map out a Reformed baptist covenant theology you 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 have hey we, we essentially agree with that that premise uh, we're, we're arguing not that there is a, a different essential thing going on, but rather that uh, w- there is a discontinuity in administration, or, or at least there, is some, there are differences according to each covenant by way of administration. Um, but it seemed like that debate, well, that emphasis changed with the 1689 federalism thing in that it was, it was just, yeah, it was taking that, it was saying a completely different thing. It was saying, listen, uh, we're actually saying, no, it wasn't of the same substance at all. Uh, it's not just an administration debate. So when they when they talk about the substance and
1: administration, it's it's can be a little bit difficult because a lot of times they they equivocate on what they mean by substance. Yeah, agrees. Yeah. So sometimes they mean well, the substance was Christ. Right. You know, um, referring to something like Colossians two. You know, Christ is the substance of the shadows. Hmm. Um, but in the quotes that I just provided, they're using substance in the Aristotelian sense. Right of of saying you know the the essence of something so um, so they're saying that the old and the new covenants not just that you know people were saved by Christ in both but mm-hmm. that those are actually the exact same covenants mm-hmm. um, there, there's only one covenant it's essence so you know the the acorn versus the tree it's the same thing it's just in in different different forms so one uh, David Dixon a Scottish guy would describe it as you know the same person. Uh, has a change of clothes Mm -hmm. (coughs) and so that's what they mean by substance it's it's the same covenant Mm -hmm. it it just looks differently it was a lot scarier with moses and now it's a lot kinder Mm -hmm. but uh, and it's a lot clearer now where it was shadowy then but it's the same thing yeah that's right (coughs) part of the confusion today stems from meredith klein's views um because historically, not everybody agreed with the Bollinger and Calvin view. Yeah, uh, There was a, a view called uh, the subservient covenant view, which said, no, um, these are not, in fact, the same covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are different covenants. Um, they are two distinct covenants. And, and this is what what Owen says. He, he summarizes the view that I just said and attributes it to Calvin. And he mm-hmm. says, this is the view of most Reformed divines. but. He says, no, I, I actually agree with the Lutherans on this point. They're two different covenants. They're right, not the same right, covenant. Yeah. And so Klein comes along in the 20th century and more or less rediscovers the subservient covenant view on his own mm-hmm. uh, with, without reference to these historic guys. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Lee Irons is put on trial for holding on... Um, Klein's views, mm. he appe- he and and uh, T, T. David Gordon and uh, Fesco in the trials there, they appealed to the 17th century, 16th century subservient covenant view mm-hmm. as historic precedent. Um, the, the difference was that historically those guys recognized that they were saying something different, um, that they were saying that they are two distinct covenants, uh, therefore they are two different substances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whereas Klein was... Not that clear Mm -hmm. on that point. So I've got a couple quotes from Irons that might help a little bit here. Yeah, let's him. One is from one of his blog posts. He says, I do not think Klein is contradicting himself. He is not saying that the Mosaic covenant itself, the covenant between God and Israel that was inaugurated at Sinai, was a covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. It was was not. Um, It was a covenant of works variety. But he is saying that God's establishment of this Mosaic covenant of works was designed to advance the covenant of grace and that therefore it was a sub-administration of the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Uh, To use the language of the 17th century Reformed theologians, it was a subservient covenant intended not to be an end in itself but to look ahead to the coming seed who would be born uh, under it and fulfill it and thereby bring about the consummation of the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. And then one one more real quick here. This was from uh, the Glory Cloud podcast. Mm -hmm. He said... this issue of republication is so hard to nail down exactly. It seems like people are using terms in different ways. Mm -hmm. Like for example, you just used the phrase administration. You said that Klein believes in the Mosaic covenant is an administration of the covenant of grace, Mm -hmm. but that word administration itself can be understood in different ways. Yeah. (laughs) Um, or in the way in which it is, excuse me, um, Or the way in which it is an administration of the covenant of grace can be understood in different ways. First of all, one way is to understand it to be that this is nothing but a continuation of the covenant of grace. And so there's no works principle at all. But Mm -hmm. another way to understand it is that it's an administration in the sense that this works principle is there in order to further the program of the covenant of grace even though there is a genuine works principle there. If you break the covenant, you're going to be kicked out of the land. That's conditionality. So there's Mm -hmm. a genuine works principle there, but its purpose for being given is subordinate to the overall program of the covenant of grace. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, how, that's how Klein was using the language of administration. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, the, The difficulty is historically, how that language has been used has been shorthand for, The old and the new are the same covenant. They are the same in substance, meaning they're both the covenant of grace. Right. Uh, The new covenant is the covenant of grace. The old covenant is the covenant of grace. Um, And so... The 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 language there administration of the covenant of grace was yeah. shorthand
0: for it is the covenant of grace. Right. So you're saying as you know you think about it in any historical sense and you're going to go wrong very quickly. Um, right. You, you need to you need to stay on Klein's page, <laughs> otherwise you might be led astray. Uh, yeah. No, I <laughs> could I could feel that totally. Right. Yeah.
1: So, um, so the 17th century Baptists, they said, "Well, hold on. No, we agree with the subservient covenant view." These are two different covenants. They are not the same covenant. Um, But at the same time, they agreed. If you look at uh, the London Baptist Confession, chapter 8, paragraph 6, it says that all of the benefits secured by Christ Mm -hmm. were communicated Mm -hmm. to the elect before the time of Christ through promises, uh, shadows, types, sacrifices, things like that, that all pictured and signified and revealed Christ to come. Mm -hmm. And it says, I think it says it was sufficient to save something along those lines. So, um, so they fully affirmed that, that the old covenant was distinct from the new covenant, Mm -hmm. but, but it uh, administered the new covenant of grace in so far as it revealed the gospel. Yeah. Right. And that's how people were saved. Yeah. Um, The trouble was, there were a few guys, and, and Sam talks about this in his book. Mm. Um, a few guys who who kind of expressed it that way, you know, using the language administration, mm. and it caused just a whole bunch of confusion as to right. what exactly they were saying, both mm. beto and and so kind of learning from that mistake, they just
0: they just stopped kind of using that mm. that troublesome language. And that was um, Gil as well, to an extent. He um he stayed on the administration language, although he seemed to embrace a lot of what you know the Federalist um, view was right. Right.
1: Yeah. So it, it's it's important to really understand what exactly is and is not meant by administration, what totally. is and is not being denied. So yeah, um, the the root issue is: are all of is the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the New Covenant? Are those all the same covenant, the covenant of grace, or are they all their own? distinct covenant
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean just just to just to stop at that point i I do remember um uh talking to to sam when he was taking us through it and and, at many points you know we were we were you know, just mostly in private conversation, but, but, um, you know, just say, okay, right, let me, let me work this through. And, you know, you stop me where you are disagreeing with me. And often we'd I'd work it right through. He'd be totally cool with what I was saying. Um, he'd just be annoyed by the administration language, you know, and, um, right. and he'd be like, well, you know, it's possible, but is it helpful? Exactly. Kind of what you're saying at this point. And, um, you know, again, I, you know, I can totally get that. And I can see where he's coming from in that he just does not want to fall into that old Westminster <laughs> trap, as it were, and he doesn't want to lead anyone into uh, thinking that that could be true. Um, I suppose on the other side, and, sorry, go for
1: it. And I was just going to say, just, just in the day and age now where we have so much information out there, it's also mm. just trying to be efficient with, yeah, I mean, if you read a full book on it, it can be carefully nuanced, but, you know, not everybody's going to read a full book. So yeah, if you've got a podcast to talk about it, Maybe that language isn't the most helpful thing to use. Yeah,
0: yeah, fair enough. Yeah. That's, the, um, that's some of the thinking. Yeah, totally. No, I, and I can see that with, without a doubt. I mean, it is confusing when um, um, it is a lot. You know, at, at some level, it's not semantics. You know, as we've just been saying, at some level, you know, it could mean something really. I mean, I think even just uh you know, what you pointed out there is that if you mean a certain thing about administration, even Klein, not not only Baptists are going to agree with, uh, disagree with right. the old Westminster right. guys, but Klein himself as a pedo-Baptist is going to disagree. And uh, many of that Kleinian variety will, will join him in that. And so at some level, it's a very important, you know, theological issue, but at another level, it could possibly be semantics and you don't want to get stuck on semantics mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, I think it definitely right. is worth uh, talking through. The, you know, just on the other side, while we're on this topic, just in case we don't get back to this, um, I think one of the Immediate, uh, you mentioned New Covenant theology earlier on, and I think mm-hmm. that's all but passed from the scene now. I don't know if is that even still around. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it's we around. got some guys I mean, that hold to it still. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, feels... I mean, I think it. I, it's
1: kind of uh, been eclipsed by progressive covenantalism, right? Interesting. Uh, which is sort of sort of the same thing, but they didn't want to necessarily yeah. take on the. There's some differences, but you know, it's a subcategory of New Covenant theology. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: well, you know, even I suppose that progressive covenantalist uh progressive dispensational thing whatever, you know, it's all getting so it's moving towards the middle as we're and and um And I suppose a Presbyterian, I mean, I remember listening to Sam and Mikey's first presentation, my immediate thought would be, hang on, we're working so hard among the Presbyterians to prove that we're reformed. (laughs) You know, this is going to kill us. This is going to absolutely kill us in terms of their accusation that we're, you know, bringing a disunity to this uh, single, not necessarily the covenant, but the single plan and purpose of God even, you know, um, in Christ. And I know that one of the the big uh, things that has been at least a subconscious burden to me, you know, uh, is to just keep this issue of unity, um, you know, even in the language as much as possible. And what, however, we're formulating Baptist Covenant theology, we're doing in a way that that's not falling prey to the the disunity slash dispensational accusation. And maybe that is an for me, you know, as I think about it, probably a and um quite a strong motivator i, I mentioned earlier uh, in one of the episodes that i think probably talking to sam you know you can see one of his motivations is to be baptist you know that's he's just he wants to make sure that that historically we have a place like he wants to be part of that group he wants to um uh he wants he cares about it and fair enough it's a good thing to care about um i, I gotta be honest that's not the big driver for me but I do, I do have a similar, perhaps unfair, driver going on in that I do feel, you know, I want to emphasize unity. I feel like if, if, if I'm reading through the Old Testament and something's taking away from the glorious sense of unity that covenant theology, just you know, as it has come to us in Reformed circles, um, has given um, and has preserved, um, I feel like I'm hesitant to to fracture that too much or, or go against that. And so I thought. That, you know, that's, I suppose, what initially drew me even to further interest in Gil. I was like, here's a guy who seems to be doing that. He was reading very deeply from Vitzius and Oren and those guys. And, and he um, uh, he was, at some level, it just seems that he was concerned to, to keep that sense of unity, even in the, in the administration language. Um, and so I suppose that's been my thing. Maybe just one more thing to say on my little rant here, um, is that there is a very important distinction between seeing the exegetical covenants as they unfold you know, and mm-hmm. thinking about this thing at a biblical theological level, <clears throat> not so much a systematic theological level. And um, and to to see that, you know, hey, we've got to appreciate each covenant for what it's worth. We've got to essentially agree with with everyone who's coming at this thing and looking at it exegetically. Um, but then, you know, the thing that Reformed theology is doing is it's bringing an uh, overarching systematic category to it. So it's, you know, I've never really equated to begin with the old covenant and the new covenant or you know at least if we're thinking about it in terms of mosaic and new or abrahamic and new um i've never equated that identically to um the covenant of works covenant of grace to begin with i've always seen those as sort of superimposed categories so maybe that's what's giving me what i feel to be more of a freedom in this um than, than i see in some of the literature that's being provided by you know let's say um Jim uh, and Sam and you know Pascal, in that uh, and maybe I'm even different from from um, what what has been the traditional, you know, view um, in, in covenant theology, even in reform circles.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the notes I wrote down when I listened to some of your previous episodes. I think that is kind of narrowing in on the on the heart of the disagreement here or, yeah. or differences or whatever. Um, so I I would be curious to know uh, how you how you define the covenant of grace. What is it?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I would see the covenant of grace as um, the covenant between uh, the believers in Christ um, and that which he gives to us, uh, involving that which he gives to us freely by virtue of of what he earned in the redemptive covenant, in the covenant of works, essentially. Um, And so he, um, you know, you have this, and and I'm trying to frame it in such a way that that we see the bigger idea there and that it is the gospel uh, at every level. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet it's not it's not the you know it's not the abrahamic covenant you know it's it's it's, it's it's something very different um, it's 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 fully expressed in the new covenant um, certainly but even there i think there's probably an exegetical nuance to be made in that the new new covenant is the fullest you know, a temporal expression of that greater theological idea. The thing—it's almost like the the way that we derive our theology of the Trinity. I mean, there it is. You've got these texts that clearly point to it. There's no uh, explicit mention of a covenant of redemption. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, in in any specific exegetical context, but but we've we've got. What we need to know that it's true, and it governs all of the covenants. And we must understand this is all of these things are, are ultimately are working from God's plan in eternity, and um, and again, that's a, a, a different different parties of of that covenant. So, um, you know, a covenant of works maybe uh, as well. Just while we're talking about this, is is. You know, again, I see that as the as certainly the, the Adamic covenant or the co- the covenant in the garden would be the fullest expression of the covenant of works, but I, I I think of the covenant of works more as a theological idea that is then echoed with with Moses and fully expressed in the garden, and um, you know has its perhaps its primary expression in uh, the covenant of redemption, and um, and so you've got those ideas working all the way through. Um, and so it just it feels to me that that's a lot more complex. You know, you can't just then okay. say, um, I can't ever say something like the 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 Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of grace anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yet, if you asked me, did the Abrahamic covenant administer the covenant of grace in a typological way? Um, you know, I'm going to say yes, of course. Um, and so, you know, it, it, that's very, very close to what I understand 69 Federalists to be saying anyway, in that through the types and shadows and those sorts of things, um, you, you have the covenant of grace as in the new covenant being revealed. Um, but it's not quite the same same thing, right?
1: Right. So my question there would be, what is the difference between the covenant of grace and the new covenant?
0: Um, I would say there would be no functional difference in the, in the sense that, um, you know, what happens in the new covenant. I mean, Christ is essentially bringing to fulfillment all those promises and, uh, and um, uh, intentions of the covenant of grace. It's, it's just that it's happening in real, in, in history and it, it has its uh, particular enshrinement in the new covenant period so it's it's kind of um it's a covenant that that will uh in terms of its administration map itself uh, map itself out in history from the time uh, of the new testament onwards and um and so is the covenant of grace the same as the new covenant once
1: the new covenant starts or is there still a, a difference between the two
0: of them? Yeah. Well, look, as I see it, there would be a difference um, by way, of, and, yeah. and it would only be by way of, like, if I had to ask, if you had to ask me, you know, what is the covenant of grace? I wouldn't say necessarily it is the a covenant with uh, that has as its, um, you know, sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, and um, you know, has uh, as its body the church, and you know, it's a, uh, it's expression, uh, you know, in this this form and that form. Okay. Um, okay. I would see that as a. That's that's a a new covenant enshrinement of the covenant of grace. Uh, okay, and so you're yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, and and you know, I just and all I'm trying to do there is <clears throat> allow for me to be able to say that there is a um, a theological um, integrity, I suppose, in in, in talking about. The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, also as a covenant of grace, but as a typological administration of it, rather than a full expression of it. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe we can,
1: you know, set aside the Abrahamic covenant just just for a minute and try yeah, sure. to, yeah, just kind of narrow in on on whether or not there is a difference here. Yeah. With regards to the new covenant. Um, so what it sounds to me, like you're doing is you're, you're defining the new covenant in terms of its signs and ordinances.
0: Um, yeah, you know, maybe just, um, temporal outworking, um, is, is a better way to, to talk about it. Cause I don't just have that in mind. Those are more just, um, examples. Um, Sure. But, but the, the temporal, the the outward manifestation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. um, That'd be fair. Yeah. So when I, when I look at a covenant, um, I look at the basic definition of what is a covenant. It's an an agreement between two or more parties. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in determining anything about any particular covenant, I want to look at who are the parties, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the promises and what are the conditions. Right. And that, that determines the essence of the covenant for me. So my question would be, you know, who are the parties of the covenant of grace? What's promised and uh, upon what condition? And then the same thing with the new covenant, who are the parties,
0: what's promised and upon what condition? So how would you? Yeah, I suppose the immediate um, knee jerk there would be, you know, in terms of the new covenant, you'd you'd have the church, the new, you know, the, the, the people, what what shall we say? Pentecost onwards, um, you know, that have, um, have been included uh, into the new covenant community. um, And and the new covenant is made with those. Um, that's not to say the covenant of grace is not made with those, but uh, in terms of the the actual uh, temporal expression of the, or the covenant enshrinement of the new covenant, that's made with those. Um, and when you say, sorry, just to clarify earlier, yeah. when you say church and, and the new covenant
1: community, mm-hmm. what's, who specifically do you have in mind there?
0: Um, is it believers. professors or yeah. is it believers? Believers, that's right, yeah. Okay, okay, just yeah, to so, clarify. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not shooting for uh, external... Uh, thing there at all gotcha. um i'm just i suppose what i'm trying to do is is say from that time period onwards um okay. like i wouldn't say necessarily that the um well ultimately it's true that every believer prior to that would be in the church absolutely or ultimately in the invisible um uh, elect people of god and, and the ultimate church no no doubt but in terms of um you know I, I, they were members of the Abrahamic covenant or um you know even before that you got adam and Eve you know they're part of this covenant of grace and um and at the end will be brought together under the church is is my understanding so um you know I suppose the the, the yeah the people involved look a little bit different now that we talk about it
1: Okay. What about the the promises and the the conditions?
0: Promises and conditions. Uh, what are we talking about? The, the between the covenant of grace and the new covenant would be exactly the same. Um, maybe with the with the difference in that you're not worried at all with with the with the church, uh, at least with the new covenant. There may still be some wiggle room with regard to church discipline and things like that, and and what that might look like. I don't think that even necessarily as a thing for the covenant of grace in that you know you're in you're in you're going to be in heaven end of story uh, it sort of comes very very close to the covenant of redemption in that regard <clears throat> the only difference being that again you have uh, Christ in these people rather than the inter-trinitarian thing going on but they're functionally I suppose exactly the same so I'm, I'm very close to Gil on that okay so um so now I think so
1: we've got that Clear. I think you would say that um, the promises and conditions of the Covenant of Grace and the New Covenant are the same. Yes. Um, the The parties are different in that the parties of the Covenant of Grace include uh, all of the elect through all time, but the yeah. parties of the New Covenant include only those post-Pentecost?
0: Or something to that effect. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the, the way I would uh, kind of summarize mm-hmm. the, that understanding of the conditions and promises is from my perspective, I would say that the covenant of grace is union with Christ. Right. Um, so is that something you would agree with? Totally. Without a doubt. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now if we want to step back to the Abrahamic covenant, mm-hmm. um, who would you say are the parties of the Abrahamic covenant?
0: Who, what are the promises and what are the conditions? Well, again, you've got um, you've got the um, the widest circle there with um, you know the, the it's between Abraham and his offspring, and he would be in some sense a mediator of that covenant. But through faith, uh, the mediator leads to a greater unitedness with Christ through the covenant of grace. So there is a definite. Um, typological administration going on there Uh, and um, you know even with the presence of a mediator in the covenant um, that is not directly Christ Um, and so yeah the parties um, uh, look very different in that regard you've got a a wider circle certainly some may be included in that Abrahamic covenant um, by virtue of their birth and you know uh, the receiving of the sign um, but are not part of that covenant of grace that through faith and via the typological administration of the mediatorial uh, headship of Abraham at that point uh, would lead them or connect them straight to to Christ. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it does. Um,
1: I guess I'm I'm trying to push for a little more precision because we yeah. would we would both agree that the Abrahamic covenant reveals the gospel. Yeah, and and that kind of sounds like what you, what you're getting at there. Uh, typologically, um, yeah, I suppose,
0: and reveal and administer, and maybe this is also very, very close to the heart of the thing. But um, you know, I think when I say administer, I'm saying um, it does a little bit more than reveal, in that it through the through the exterior um, that is revealing the gospel, which is what we both agree on. Uh, there actually becomes a, a an administrative means through which to access the the substance of the promise, um, and, and maybe again, that's it's kind of so close to what you're saying in terms of the retroactivity of the new covenant, but maybe a little bit different in that I'm not necessarily saying retroaction. I'm saying you know right there and then means, uh, if, if that makes sense.
1: Well, and, and we would we would agree the 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 word retroactive may be misleading okay're uh, we're not we're not saying there's any kind of delay mm-hmm. uh, we, we would say that Abraham when when he was justified mm-hmm. um, from our perspective we would say that he had union with Christ mm-hmm. that's why he was born again. Mm-hmm. that's why he had faith. that's why he was justified. it was not something that was going to happen in the future. Uh, it was something that he had at present currently right, right. He, the, the difference is that he had it in advance. Of what Christ would do in the future. Right, right. Um and and so in that sense he could, you know, take it to the bank because it was guaranteed to happen. And so he experienced that in his own day. I mean, what we're saying about the new covenant is really no different from what any reformed theologian says about the atonement. Right, totally. Got uh, it. Yeah. It's it, it's really the same thing. So yeah. uh we're just Yeah, that's just helpful. That's helpful. That that's the, the the atonement comes through the new covenant. You know, Christ is only the mediator of the new covenant. Right. Uh, so nobody can receive his his atonement, his blessings, uh, except through the new covenant. So just kind of getting back to you know who are the parties of the Abrahamic covenant? Yes, yes, yes. What are the promises? What are the conditions? <clears throat> um. You know that are those different? If the answers to that are different than the answers to the covenant of grace, then you know, then they're, then they're two different covenants, and whatever else we want to say,
0: um,
1: yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're agreement there.
0: Um, yeah, totally. Now you see that's where it gets complicated for me because I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, I don't need them to be the same as in the new covenant. You know what I mean? The, just in light of what I was saying earlier, in that I, the the gospel is revealed through the means of a different administration, so um you know to ask you know so it's not like i'm looking and saying well you know does it does it have to be exactly the same parties and covenant it's a different covenant it is a different covenant entirely to the new covenant it's just that it was distinctly revealed for the purpose of administering what we've now just uh clarified is a is a, a retroactive um administration of the gospel right um
1: but what we would point at every post-fall covenant mm-hmm. as as doing the same thing, you know, they they all um, reveal and uh, I guess I'm not quite sure a difference between your understanding of reveal and 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 administer. Yeah, that's uh, good.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so, know, I, sorry, Gerfried, you first. Yeah,
1: I, just to clarify a little bit more. So, when I say the new covenant or the covenant of grace is union with Christ, uh-huh. um, I would say that that union. Mm-hmm. is established when the covenant of grace, the new covenant is made with an elect sinner. Right. Uh, so prior to that, they are in Adam mm-hmm. at, at that point, they are brought into Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that moment is the effectual call. Yes. Um, and so faith, regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification, all those things, all those things follow from union with Christ, which is prior to all of those. Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, from my perspective, when I look at Abraham, it says he has faith. I would say that, you know, the gospel was revealed to him. Yeah. Um, God irresistibly worked his grace in him. He effectually called him, which means that he established the covenant of grace union with him. Mm-hmm. And at that point he was, had faith and was saved. Yeah. Um, and I would say that the Abrahamic covenant helped to reveal in that, in that sense, it was uh, the Abrahamic covenant. You could you know, you could call it as part of the general call or the outward call.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the new covenant is the inward call mm-hmm. uh,
0: is, is kind of how I
1: <clears throat> would look at it.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Interesting. So I suppose, you know, one of the things uh, to that, that does play into this um, is the whole Galatians issue in that, you know, I suppose one of the things that is sort of on the, on the background for me is to just make sure that however we're figuring this out is in line with the way Paul would have explained it in Galatians. And, and, um, you know, and, and I know there's a whole lot of debate with regard to that verse as well, but, uh, it might be good for us to just switch there because I mean, at the end of the day, that's going to matter, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's, that's going to shape the way we even process this. You would agree with me on that point, wouldn't you? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I would just want to understand,
1: you know, the logic of Paul's flow. So I've spent some time just trying to kind of deconstruct that a little bit. Um, You know, historically, kind of the Westminster view would be to interpret um, uh, Galatians 3.17 as uh, being the covenant of grace. So it's the covenant uh, was ratified, uh, the covenant previously ratified uh, with Christ. So it's the covenant made with Christ. Right. Uh, Right. And so they would argue that, that it is the covenant of grace yes um so on on that point i would i would slightly differ there are a lot of comment uh commentators who who note that it's actually better translated as um the covenant concerning christ Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of like a foundational issue to how you interpret the rest of of kind of that passage right um so i would say it's it's paul's referring to the abrahamic covenant not as the covenant made with Christ but as a covenant made concerning Christ. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So my my understanding there then is that Paul's whole point here is is actually um, it's a covenant concerning Christ in the sense that God in Galatians 3:8 he specifically says he's, what he's referring to here mm-hmm. um, it's the covenant that uh, wherein God promised That in Abraham, uh, all nations of the earth will be blessed. So it's concerning Christ, and that it promises that Christ will come from Abraham and will bless all nations. Sure, yeah. So that's that's the that's the specific promise that Paul is is arguing there. Uh Um, The the Judaizers are arguing from from other Abrahamic promises that that are made to them, Right. right? The 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 offspring is the Judaizers, so. You know, if this blessing of all nations, you know, in Abraham, all uh-huh. nations will be blessed. Well, that's, you know, that's us. That's the his offspring. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to argue from that. from my perspective, the argument that Paul makes, uh, specifically in Galatians 3.16, it gets mm-hmm. a little nuanced here, but in, in short, um, I think he is arguing that there is a distinction between these Abrahamic promises. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one of the Abrahamic promises is made to offsprings, plural. That's mm-hmm. to you guys mm-hmm. about the land and, and the circumcision and the law and all of that stuff that you're right. Yep. But he's saying that's different. That's different from this promise that was made concerning Christ, concerning Abraham's offspring who would come to bless all nations. Yep. And that's what we're dealing with now. Mm-hmm. We're, past, we're, we're past this time in the land. You guys lost, you're right there. Mm. We're, we're dealing now with the blessing of all nations. That promise is distinct from the promise to you guys, so you're right. conflating the two. Right. And when the law comes, uh, the law does not annul the a covenant previously ratified. You know What does that mean? Does that mm. mean that the co- covenant that was previously ratified, does that mean that that covenant was union with Christ, through which people were saved, um, through which they had faith, uh, through which they were justified? mm I would say no. I would say if you go back to Galatians 2, um, 29, um, you know, he talks about Christ not dying in vain. Mm, mm. Uh, and the idea there is, let me pull it up real quick here. Um, uh, sorry, verse 21, two twenty one. 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Mm. So, the way I kind of put that together in in my mind is that in the Abrahamic covenant, God promised that Christ would be born from Abraham mm-hmm. and that he would bless all nations by imputing righteousness to those who have faith.
0: And maybe just to ask you there, right on that point, because I'm following you exactly, uh, um, would that promise be by you know, but by, by anything to do with what Abraham would do is that by a uh, principle of inheritance of grace or works? Um, I was
1: undecided on that for many years. Okay. Um, I, I think either one is, you know, uh, is fine. According from my understanding, I, I would, I wouldn't have a problem saying either one is fine with 1689 federalism. Right. Um, but personally through my study of it, um, I do think that Genesis 22, 18, for example, is clear that God says that he is granting Abraham the privilege of being the father of the Messiah because of Abraham's obedience.
0: Right, okay. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, um, maybe that that would be something that... You know, because I'm following you exactly, uh, except for that point, which I think is helpful, you know, just to just to really get to the bottom of of where the disagreement, at least with me, yeah. lies, you know? Um, and, and, yeah, I, you know, if God says
1: that it's completely apart from Abraham's works, that he's going to be the father of the Messiah, that's that's not a huge deal for me. Right, um, totally got it, yeah. But the, the main point for me is that we're distinguishing between the Historia Salutis yeah. and the Ordo Salutis. Right, so I right. would say that the covenant of grace, the new covenant, is union with Christ, that's Ordo Salutis. hmm the Abrahamic covenant is Historia Salutus. It's it's not saying you will have a new heart, you will have your sins forgiven. Mm-hmm. It's saying you will be the father of the Messiah. Right.
0: Yeah, I suppose and we're back to where we were talking earlier there in that I would see the historia as being a, a kind of um, means through which to access the the auto, <laughs> if I could put it that way. And uh, I suppose there again we're very, very close with the with the revealed thing. Um and then right, so, yeah.
1: yeah, I would just be You push you a little bit more for clarity as as to what you mean by access and and means and and stuff like that because I would say, you know, God, uh, you know, we can we can go back and look at uh, through biblical theology, people were anticipating this promise seed of the woman who was going to reverse the curse, and Mm. you know Abraham told that that his offspring would bless all nations. You know, they connect the two dots. They can see Abraham's offspring is going to be the Messiah who's going to reverse the curse and. So it's the gospel is thereby revealed to them, yeah. Uh, and through the effectual call, they come to believe it. So that would be my understanding of of the
0: means of grace. So when you, um, if you think about, just to maybe shoot for some clarity right now, this might not be the best way to sure. approach it, but, but um, you know, you think about um, I don't know your participation in the Lord's Supper, and um, what's what's going on there as the means of grace. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would see something very similar, I suppose. To what's happening right there, in that uh, you know, through the visible uh, symbol, uh, there is a sacramental quality, and then it sh- it shows you just as surely there is a, a spiritual participation that's taking place, and um, and so I suppose you know I would see I would talk about the administration of the sacraments um, in that way. Uh, would you would you okay. use that language or? So I want to.
1: Want to qualify my my answer here by saying I am speaking on my own behalf here. I don't <laughs> right. tend to represent the uh 1699 sixteen yeah, eighty nine You don't want to
0: mess with those guys. They'll, <laughs> they'll come uh, at you.
1: No, joking. I, I, I am speaking from my own perspective and I don't want to confuse anyone here. Yes. Uh that um I see um covenant signs like baptism, like the Lord's Supper as mm-hmm uh word pictures. Okay. Um so this is actually the way that um um shoot his name's escaping me right now. But uh uh Gary Crampton wrote an essay on this in one of the Reformed Baptist theological reviews. Yeah uh, and that's the way he describes it. I think he quotes I can't remember who now. But anyways, right. mm-hmm. uh I, I see them as word pictures. Mm-hmm. So it, to me they function uh, along the same lines as the word "preach," the word "read," right. um, you know, it's it's communicating information. It's just rather than in propositional form, it's in um, sensory form by way of you know uh, word pictures, to put it simply. Right. Um, and so the um, those are uh, it, it, this comes back to you know the nature of man. What's your what's your understanding of the nature of man? I would understand the soul of man as his rational faculty, hmm. uh, and so the. The, the word pictures, they present the gospel to us, we participate with that intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, We're thereby blessed by the Holy Spirit working through that to um, sanctify our minds, enlighten our minds to a fuller understanding of mm. ourselves and 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 Christ. Um, and so it's still, for me, not something different than revelation.
0: Right, right. So you're wanting Re- to, am I right in saying you're wanting to sort of back off from the kind of more than a memory, Barcellus, uh, real presence thing? Um, not,
1: uh, I, I need to do a more thorough study there from from listening to, to his lectures on that, not necessarily there's a lot of different nuance there sure. one is, you know uh, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that I wouldn't just say it's a memory um, there's a present, present aspect to the Lord's Supper that I would affirm
0: yeah, uh, well, I suppose where we're going, going um, yeah, in terms of the analogy of the Abrahamic deal is uh, just that means of grace, I suppose, right. you know, there's something well, more than just, you know, there's something objective happening uh, so, outside of yourself, yeah. Right. Part of, you know, for my studies so far, I still have a
1: lot more to do. Uh, a lot of that goes back to Calvin's interpretation of 1 sure. Corinthians yeah. 10, 1 through 5. Yeah. Um, that the rock was Christ. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. And so Christ is sacramentally present right in that. Um, in my opinion, Calvin completely misread that passage. Uh-huh. I would agree with with Charles Hodge and and other guys that um, that's talking about God's providential provision for the Israelites. Huge, huge um, significance in the formulation and understanding of the means of grace mm-hmm. and the sacraments, and, and a lot of reform guys, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it, I think it's, it's Calvin's misinterpretation interpretation is cast a long shadow, and yeah. so it, it goes. In my opinion, this goes directly to kind of this disagreement where we're having here. Is mm-hmm. I, I want real precise, yeah, right, in in my definitions here, and what does it mean to administer yeah. the covenant? grace i want right. to be real precise yeah. but this this idea of christ sacramentally present and the whole sacramentology understanding along those lines is inherently nebulous and mysterious and so yes
0: it's, yes um so yeah anyways, so. well you know what i think that's actually very very helpful and, and at least helps us both to just further the discussion a little bit I mean certainly I've got a lot to think about and uh, you know maybe we can come back for a part two on that sort of thing um, sure. because um, yeah I, th- I think that's very helpful I think it is just right there where at least for me I mean you know who cares about me anyway at some level but you know just just as we're talking right now and you know me mattering to me and and you and me talking I think I think um, that is really right where I am sort of struggling and the things I need to th- uh, seek further clarity on myself to, to get to the bottom of this there there is just I just realizing this is turning into a bit of a Marathon for you uh, as well. <laughs> um, just, just maybe one more thing. You know, just uh, we, uh, it's something I'm, I've been dying to ask you. Um, as you see it now. Um, what is the kind of lay of the land, um, in regards to 1689 federalism? I know you had that interaction with James White, uh, the other day, and, uh, you know, he's just on a different kind of gig. He's busy. He's doing his whole thing. He's not really worried about the intramural reform, BAFTA stuff. Um, w- w- you know, to what degree is that the norm? Like what is the landscape? Um, uh, any comments on that? I, I, I
1: can't say uh, entirely. I think that, um, for my interaction, you know, it's it's being embraced by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't see very many advocates of um, what could be called the 20th century view or, or right. whatever. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of proponents of that. I see some people who haven't had time to study 1689 federalism, yes. so they don't necessarily haven't rendered a verdict. Uh-huh. Uh, Sam Waldron has commented a little bit. Yeah, um, is he going he, in the other he, direction? Um, he is... Uh, just th- through more conversation and clarification, he's very close from what I understand. Okay. From his, from his comments, he's very close. Um, he has kind of maybe some of the similar issues you're having here in terms of the temporality of the new covenant. Right. Um, he would want to argue that the covenant of grace is distinct from every covenant in the Bible hmm, uh, or, or, or historical covenant or however he'd. Um, Whatever language he so he would say that the new covenant is not the covenant of grace, so that would be kind of his hold up there. But yeah, in terms, in terms of the typology of Israel and mm. and all those things, um, he, he seems to be in large agreement. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, good. Aside from that, I I don't know. Uh, I can't yeah. say, I know, like you said, James White hasn't had time to study it, and, right. and I certainly didn't. That just to clarify that whole thing, I was never <laughs> intending to <laughs> it argue there. Yeah. I, I was only trying to clarify because people were confused
0: and totally. thought that he helped do it and yeah whatnot. So totally no, that's that's fair game. Um, and then just maybe one question in terms of subscription to the 1689. Um, I know last time I spoke to um, Sam, I um, you know he seemed to he was he was very much of the opinion that you know hey this was one this was a partial, uh, or at least maybe even the majority view. I can't remember exactly what he thought at that time, but you know in ter- there were a variety of different. Views on this, even then, even um, when the, the 1689 was framed, um, and so that ought to, you know, uh, affect the way we approach it now in terms of full subscription to the 1689. Uh, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Um, no, I think the the covenant. I mean, sorry, the confession definitely leaves room for
1: a variety of views. It it, it doesn't um, uh, it, it doesn't define 1689 federalism in in the precise detail that you would systematically. Um, yes. I would say it leaves leaves room open. It it helps explain why the Second London Baptist Confession was changed and is different from the yeah, Westminster. Confession, yeah, yeah. Uh, because sixteen eighty nine Federalism guys would not be able to affirm the Westminster Confession. Yeah. Um. So they modified it for that reason. Mm-hmm. But they, but they didn't modify it in such a way that only those who agreed with them on all these details could could hold to it. So I don't. Yeah. I think from Sam's studies, you know, there were maybe one or two who who didn't hold the 1689 federalism yeah so it really was the the very vast majority view but yeah um and and in saying that i i am i am not at all trying to argue from the authority of history Um, right sure that's that's never been my perspective yeah i just it's just worth noting yeah absolutely Um, for sure
0: yeah, no, that's um, that's helpful. I think also, you know, just some of the genius behind the, the the confession in that it it is it allows for a little bit of wiggle room, a healthy wiggle room, even, you know, just to just to keep unified on the big things. And to it's already it's quite a granular confession. It it does go into a lot of detail, and so you already have a great amount of unity if you can um, come together around what it says. And so I, I like it because it takes the pressure off. Just you know, having to you know feel like you have to just work this out you mm-hmm. know just work it out work it out biblically and uh you know if anyone's listening in on this and check out brandon's stuff um check out 1699 federalism um check out uh sam Renan's book and you know we'll you know i'm sure you you'll hear about those those uh books many times on this on this show but um yeah check it all out and um process Klein, and proce- go to brandon's blog because you'll process <laughs> it all but if, vicariously through brandon <laughs>
1: I've got uh, one more thing to leave you with here. If you got yeah. a second, Do it. Uh, I got a cu- just a couple quotes for you to chew on. All right. Um, about the new covenant. So here's one from Calvin. All right. Uh, so he, he's wrestling with Hebrews 8, 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, he says uh, there uh, the bl- the promise that the Holy Spirit would, would indwell believers, basically. He's trying to wrestle with that and how it relates to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And he says, ultimately, there is yet no reason why God should not have extended the grace of the new covenant to the fathers. Mm-hmm. This is the true solution of the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Owen he comments: uh, the greatest and utmost mercies that God ever intended to communicate unto the church and to bless it with all were enclosed in the new covenant. Nor does the efficacy of the mediation of Christ extend itself beyond the virgin compass for there, thereof, for He is only the mediator and surety of this covenant. Right, and then just couple more for you here One, one's from John Frame in his systematic theology he says oh,
0: uh, don't be quoting Frame uh, on a two-age <laughs> sojourner podcast
1: <laughs> uh, not a big chance but uh, this quote's worth, worth okay, quoting let's the have it we'll make Christ an exception the work of Christ is the source of all human salvation from sin the salvation of Adam and Eve of Noah of Abraham of Moses and of David and of all of God's people in every age past present or future right. everyone who has ever been saved has been saved through the new covenant in Christ Hmm. Everyone who is saved receives a new heart and a heart of obedience through the New Covenant work of Christ. Hmm. So though it is a New Covenant, it is also the oldest, the temporal expression of the pactum salutis. The New Covenant does have a temporal inauguration, the shedding of Jesus' blood, a dateable historical event, is the substance of the New Covenant, the covenant that purifies not only the flesh but the conscience, the heart. Nevertheless, as we saw, the effic- efficacy of the new covenant, unlike that of previous covenants, extends to God's elect prior to Jesus' atonement. Mm. When, be- when believers in the Old Testament experienced circumcision of the heart, or when they were Jews inwardly, they were partaking of the power of the new covenant. Right. And then, uh,
0: last, last one to so leave So you're, you're driving fear at that... the way he's using uh, new covenant and covenant of grace as the same right. thing. Right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that... Uh, These promised blessings of
1: of free generation, things like that, those are promises of the New Covenant that apply to be provided to it. And the last one here is from Horton. Um, Ah, well done. Can't go wrong with Horton on this show. (laughs) (laughs) There are clear passages indicating that the forgiveness of sins is unique to the New Covenant, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah Mm 31-34. The Spirit at Pentecost worked retroactively in the lives of saints, Mm -hmm. uh, in the lives of Old Testament saints. So that's from his uh the yeah, holy. Yeah,
0: good, good. So I suppose when you know knowing a little bit about Horton's deal there, he would be he'd obviously have some way to explain the way he uses that language and the way he speaks of of the covenant of grace administered through uh, Abraham. Are you saying that there's a, a kind of um uh, inconsistency in what he's thinking or are you <laughs> saying or are you saying just I, to highlight I, I,
1: I, I, at this point, I'm just saying it to highlight just to point out that it, this, this whole idea of the, the new covenant, um, you know, applying to Old Testament saints prior to Christ. It's a well-accepted uh, idea. Is not, yeah, it's not really unique to 1689 federalism. Got it. Um, yeah. I would say 1689 federalism um, understands that and works that out most consistently. Right. Uh, in all of its implications, but, you know, yeah. it's other people are recognizing the same thing.
0: Yeah, sure. That that sounds fair. Um Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you coming oh, yeah, on here for such a long time and taking, giving the time away. Appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Bless you. I hope we can talk again soon. Thanks for joining us, and uh, stay tuned. We'll, we'll come back on uh, when we, we're on Saturday today. So have a good weekend. Go to church. See you on Monday.